A reading from the Gospel of John. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who comes from the Father, he will testify on my behalf. You also are to testify because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said these things to you to keep you from stumbling. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, an hour is coming when those who kill you think that they do so to offer worship to God. And they will do this because they have not known the Father or me. But I have said these things to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you about them. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away for if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father and you will see me no longer. About judgment because the ruler of this world has been condemned. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason, I said he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, here we are. It's Trinity Sunday. And I think if you ask the ministry staff, that they'll tell you I had a hard time with this passage this past week. Perhaps, I think perhaps, it's because of where it falls in the church year. Uh, we just got done celebrating Ascension Sunday, celebrating Jesus going up into the heavens, and we focus on Jesus leaving, and then we naturally move to Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, where we see God coming back down in the form of fire. And now we are get, we're kind of getting tossed back back before the cross, back before the passion of Jesus. And Jesus in this passage is telling his disciples to say something. He's telling his disciples something that I don't want to hear. Listen, he says, um, I've told you what's going to happen. I keep telling you what's going to happen. You know what's going to happen. And you know, as I've told you before, that I'm going to go away. And when I go away, uh, you won't really understand it, and where I go, you can't follow, and, and also, there's more things that I want to say to you, more truth that I have to impart to you, but if I told you now, you just wouldn't want to hear it. 
but believe me, you want, to go to, you want me to go away. When I first read this passage on Monday, not for the very first time, but just on Monday when I first read this passage, I thought about the movie A Few Good Men. Remember when Jack was firing away at Tom Cruise in the final scene of the movie? You want the truth, he says. Well, I think I'm entitled. The disciples would respond, I think. Well, you can't handle the truth. And I thought to myself, huh. I have to confess that John isn't my favorite gospel. Is that odd for a preacher to stand up and tell you what his favorite gospel is or her favorite gospel is? But John's not my favorite gospel. It's Luke for a variety of reasons. But John and I are on the same page when it comes to Christology. We have very high Christology, John and I do. And that's not always a good thing for a pastor. It's not always the most biblical thing. But when it comes to Jesus, John and I are rock solid on the same page. John, for John, every answer is Christ. Every answer is Christ. John would love to sit in the back of a children's Sunday school Baptist church class. And when the teacher asks who built the ark, and all of their hands are raised up, and the teacher chooses one, and the student says, Jesus, that would be okay with John, right? Because that's what typically happens. I mean, I knew when I was in Sunday school at five years old, if I raised my hand and whatever the question was, um, Jesus, 95% of the time would be the right answer. And John would love that. To John, he doesn't care about how Jesus got started at, at, at Bethlehem. That's, that it, John, John just says, in the beginning was the Word. Not, not the Word, but the Word made flesh. And then in John, we get all the rest of these I am statements, these big, powerful I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the pearl of great price. I am the living water. I am the alpha and the omega. I am the good shepherd. To John, Jesus is it. And that's why it's so hard for me, and probably for John to write these words, it's hard for me to collectively wrap my head around this passage because Jesus is telling his disciples that he doesn't have all the answers. That there's more truth coming. That he will send this other truth that these disciples don't understand when he leaves. And if he tried to tell the disciples about that truth and what that truth was, that the disciples wouldn't understand. And that's when we meet the Holy Spirit, who Jesus promises is going to guide us into all truth. And I think to myself as I'm reading, but isn't Jesus all truth? Isn't he all we need? And in this passage, John is saying Collectively with Jesus, no. No, you need more. No, you need the Father and you need the Holy Spirit. You need the three, yet one. And only when you get those three, you will have represented all truth and all truth will be revealed. You need all three, Jesus says, and, 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 and there's something deep inside of me, I have to tell you still now, that says, nah, I, just, I can just deal with you, Jesus. I'm real comfortable with you. 
I'll deal with you. But then I go deeper into my spiritual conscious. And I realize that maybe, maybe my whole life has been broken down into threes and that just wasn't an accident. I remember every night, every night, my parents tucking me into bed. And my first words were, God, thank you for mommy and daddy and Blake. I remember that's how I started every prayer. And now, every night, when we tuck Lucy and Grant into bed, when they say their prayers, it is, God, thank you for mommy, daddy, and Lucy. God, thank you for mommy, daddy, and Grant. As if we were a team, as if we were a family, as if we were bound together, mommy, daddy, and child, as if one could not, hear me, one could not exist without the other. But to us Christians, the witness of Scripture is to the power of three. It must be, or it's not Christianity. We're encouraged to remember and to call on the power of one in three and three in one and in every situation. No matter how trying, that is our responsibility. But let's be clear, right? Baptists don't like that. I just got up here and told you I don't like that. We don't like it as we should, but it's biblical. We like the Christus Victor model. Jesus all in one. And we think all we need to know about God has been revealed through Jesus. And frankly, the Holy Spirit scares us. It makes us think of those Pentecostals who worship in tongues and raise their hands when they worship. And my goodness, we're different than that. But in the book of Acts, if you really read the book of Acts, right... Every miraculous thing that happens is preceded not by the indwelling of Christ, but by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Every comforting moment, every heart exchange, every prison cell open, every chain broken, every obstacle overcome was preceded by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Luke was trying to say Christianity will survive through the power of the Holy Spirit. So too will you, so too will your family, and so too will this church. And fortunately, actually thinking on it this past week, it seems that that's okay with me because three seems to be an easy number to remember. There is such a thing as the rule of three, the rule of three suggests, it's a principle that suggests that things that come in three are inherently funnier and more satisfying or more effective than other numbers of things. Audiences and readers alike are likely to consume information presented in threes and retain that information. That's why when I was in seminary as a preacher, I was taught to give your congregation in your sermons three points and a poem if you want. But thinking about it even further in our society, from slogans in sports that I have said over and over again, go Spurs, go, or sick on bears. Now in Texas, that, that's bad grammar. I just want to tell you that. I know that's bad grammar, but we don't really care about grammar in Texas. And so we just say sick on bears. It's supposed to be sick them bears, right? 
or hook M horns. Thankfully, the Redskins consider themselves above the rule of three and say, hell to the Redskins. But think about it, even in political slogans, right? I like Ike. Or Nixon is the one. Or it's morning in America. What about this one? Ross for boss. And Clinton's 92 slogan, put America first. And even up to today, feel the burn. Those are the ones we remember, win or lose. We seem to naturally, and I, what my point here is that this is divine. It's put in us. We seem to remember things in threes, to three-part dramas, the beginning, the middle, the end. Many of these things are structured in a series of, of um, introduction, the middle, the climax. The Latin phrase, omni trium perfectum, everything that comes in threes is perfect, or every set of three is perfection, conveys the same idea. So I'm going to disagree with the Three Dog Nights hit 1969 song, One is the loneliest number. Three seems to be the most memorable number. Perhaps it's because it's the number of the Godhead, the three in one, and hear me when I say we need all of them. We read three little pigs, the three billy goats gruff, Goldilocks and the three bears, before we eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. With a knife, a fork, and a spoon, we hear no evil, we see no evil, and we speak no evil, despite the fact that we are threatened by lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. We play rock, paper, scissors, and we enter into life lock, stock, and barrel. Our goals are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we count on the judicial and legislative and executive branches of government to assist us in this pursuit yesterday, today, and tomorrow because we cherish our government of the people, by the people, for the people. We live a hop, skip, and a jump from a snap, crackle, and a pop. <laughs> our journey of life has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And on the journey, we encounter lights that might be red or yellow or green. Our motto for the past, the present, and the future is ready, set, go. Nike told us to just do it. The poet Robert Frost said, said it in this way, in three words, I can sum up everything I've learned about life. It goes on. And if it does, and since it does, and since it goes on, we have to live to face another day. So why don't we call on the power of three as we live this day? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer, the power that created us in the first place, that redeemed us in the second place, and that in the third place guides us each moment by the inpouring of the love of God into our thirsty hearts. If life goes on and three is a company, I want to be a part of that company. 
Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for always being there. But perhaps I claim that promise too often and too quickly. Perhaps I don't distinguish between the three of you enough. Perhaps that's okay. But not today. Today I recognize that without one, the three cannot exist. And today today we celebrate the qualities that make up the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the three in one. In your son's name we pray, amen.